Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long distance besties everywhere. I'm Amina Tuso. And I'm Ann Friedman, and it's 2016. Happy New Year! <laughs> Happy New Year! Ugh, I mean. Man, I love the New Year. I'm like one of those people. I love the New Year because I'm also a January baby, and January is like on every measure fresh start time. I love that. It's true. Uh, shout out to all the Capricorns in our lives. <laughs> Go people. Cap- Go people. Capricorn women dramatically overrepresented in my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. My brother is a Capricorn too. It's like amazing. So many. Yeah, and even like, yeah, just tons of January babies. I think like whenever I did the math on like what month everyone was having sex to create all these January babies, I was like, Hmm, not a lot going on in that month. I don't remember what month um, it is. Was it like April or something? It was probably. like, yeah, something like that. I'm like, I don't know how to count back. I don't know either. Somebody do, somebody do the math and tweet at us. <laughs> I like how I'm like this one time I figured it out. Like I can't do it on my fingers right now. <laughs> a long, long time ago. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's amazing. You know, um, so this week is a phone a friend episode. And I really wanted to start the new year off kind of on a banger and call up one of the most accomplished and amazing ladies that we know, Shawnee Hilton. Who is from the future, so appropriate for a new year episode. I mean, Anne, you already know this. Like, Shawnee's so amazing. And, you know, the way that she just lives her life is so delightful. And so it was a real pleasure to talk to her. Like, we, I talk, we talked about her boss lady moves at BuzzFeed and just a general self-care. She's really into gardening right now and, like, all of the weirdo TV that we're watching. And, you know, just how to be, like, a cool, chill lady. Like, her vibe is so rad. Yeah, it is true. It's, like, the number of people I know who are, who kind of have, I mean, she has a super important, powerful job, but, like, is also not a not a crazy person you know is like is like a a down-to-earth woman who cares about all these other aspects of her life and like lives a really full existence she is just the best exactly you know and our nickname for shawnee has long been um you know shawnee luther king (laughs) (laughs) integrating the media (laughs) she's like single-handedly responsible for how many black people there are in journalism and she's just like a really down-to-earth person who lives with a ton of integrity and is you know like she's good at every Everything she does. I love her. Hi, Shawnee. Thanks for joining us today. Or me. Hi, Hi, Amina. What's up? Not much. It's been like a long day. I've been feeling a little sick. So I've just been drinking all sorts of weirdo portions that Jenna recommended. It's weird. Um, Jenna has the hookup on like weird things that you should consume to make your body better. She's like 100% a witch. Like, I love it. What are you up to today? Currently, I am roasting a chicken. And drinking white wine, which means that I am officially Diane Keaton in a Nancy Myers film. <laughs> do you have a favorite roast chicken recipe? I do the super, super, super simple one, like the Bitman, or is it Thomas Keller? No. Oh, God. Uh, Thomas Keller, I think. It's like just chicken. Yes, I know the salt, one you're talking about. Yep. At a high heat. I stuck 
I stuck a half a lemon in the butt this time, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, that's the Thomas Keller one. It's like salt and prayer. Yeah, salt, <laughs> prayer, and heat. That's that's basically it. But yeah, I don't know. I wanted to talk to you about a lot of things today, but mostly you're like a good lady friend. You know, you live your life so well. Oh my God, you Uh, do. (laughs) The first thing I wanted to talk to you about is your love of gardening and and tweeting about gardening. Will you tell me a little bit more about that? So I, I used to have a dog and she hated living in New York. So I took her to California and she lives there now and is very happy with my dad. But I missed having living things. And I also lived in like, a hole in the, on the Lower East Side where we had no light. We had like really bad short windows with northern exposure, which is the lowest light you can get. Your couch and- was so good to me, though. <laughs> Real talk. <laughs> I mean, we loved having you there. And then I moved to Brooklyn to an amazing apartment with like very tall ceilings and full southern exposure with tons and tons of light. And I was like, oh, I'm losing my mind. I have to get all the plants I can fit in the lighted area of the lit area of my apartment. And so I bought lots and lots of plants and I just kept thinking like, like I'm, I'm still currently like stocking a particular plant that is very trendy and hard to get. Ooh, and like, what is it? <laughs> it's called the Chinese money plant. What? It's Scandinavian more recently because some Scandinavian missionary went to China and found it and brought it back. And the way that it propagates, like you just propagate it. So you like take a cutting and you plant it and you give it to a friend. And so like all the Chinese money plants in Scandinavia are like from this one missionary's cutting. And that's how it's spread. So anyway, it's really hard to get. It's really pretty cool looking. I'm working on it. I keep emailing this one nursery <laughs> in <laughs> Delaware. You're such a plant nerd. I love it so much. They wrote me back. They were like, check back in the spring. And I'm like, uh. So anyway, plants. I love plants. Well, the exciting thing is that like once you get one, I know I'm getting one. So that's perfect. (laughs) Perfect. Um, So yeah, I love having living things in my apartment. And living things that don't require too much attention. I've only killed a couple of them. Okay, so you're saying that for someone like me who, like, stocks up on succulents, that there's hope? Yes. Succulents are actually way trickier than people think they are. What? It's really easy to overwater them, um, especially now that we're going into a colder time of year when they're dormant. So really don't water them until, like, you touch the leaf and it's, like, very squishy and soft because then you know it needs water. Uh, Let me tell you my succulent trick. Don't water them at all. (laughs) Or that. (laughs) Three years running, baby. They look great. I, I like, I overwatered my string of pearls plant and it is not happy with me right now. So I'm trying to, like, dry it out. I I may not water it for, like, two months and we'll see what happens. I'm so impressed you know all the names. I'm just, like, I'm, like, cactus number one, baby-looking cactus, (laughs) like, weird thing. I even know the, like, scientific names of some of them, which is kind of scary. That is scary. You know, well, that's that's why I love you. Love you too. Upgrade my life all the time. Um, The other thing I want to talk to you about is that recently BuzzFeed did this like great, great, great feature on HBCUs for people who don't know. Those are historically black colleges and universities. And 
I think you were my first friend who went to an HBCU. Really? Yes. I think you're even the person who like taught me what the acronym was. (laughs) It's really funny, actually. I mean, HBCUs don't currently graduate that many black, like the high, the where black kids are getting educated now is mostly, it's largely through online colleges for better or for worse. Some are great and some are very bad actors, but HBCUs, you know, are, I think are enrolling a few hundred thousand students a year between the hundred or so of them that there are. So it's a small but very passionate force and like pretty outsized, I think, in kind of the world of work and in media, you really, it's really easy to bump into an, another Howard grad for me. I feel like I bump into Howard grads all the time. Yeah, no, I feel like you shit. guys run media as far as I'm concerned. I'm like, uh, <laughs> there's like this tiny Howard mafia of people who just run everything. Okay, I'll take it. I mean, in fact, I met like two white girls who went to Howard and they're also like running things everywhere they go. I'm like, this is very terrifying. Nice, nice. One of the things that was really fascinating to me in like a lot of the conversations that we've had about HBCUs is seeing like how many ambitious women there are that go there. Oh, and and how it's like its own kind of, you know, it's like its own like power lady world and how black women actually have been leaning in forever and ever and ever. Like all the statistics say this, that they like black women have outsized ambition. It's just that the workplace is not ready for us. Oh, it's so true. Like I was reading this insane study and I'm not going to cite any statistics because I don't remember them exactly but the point was essentially that which is black women desperately want to be managers they feel very confident in their ability to manage they feel very secure and so when people are like women don't step up enough and don't throw their hat into the ring and this is true it's played out in my own life where I've seen the black women that I know not just the ones who went to hard but like all of them pretty much in my circle are very ambitious, very eager, have a little ego, like want to run things. And they come and they, they headbutt with, with a culture that's not prepared to support them. And so it's been kind of irritating in some ways to see these kind of blanket narratives about women in the workplace when what we're really talking about is white women. And we're not addressing the fact that women of color, black women in particular, who have long, long, long for generations worked, been in the workplace, whether that was in somebody's home or in a restaurant or whatever, are now ready to take on management roles and the pathways aren't there. Yeah, right. It's like this lack of mentorship. But it's so true. It's like black women have their foot on the gas like since the beginning of time. We just, right. uh, we whatever, fine. <laughs> one, one of us will change it. It's cool. We uh, both will. The other thing that you really kind of opened my eyes to also at HBCUs was how many non, like, Black American people go there. Oh, yeah. Um, The international presence. When we lived in D.C., down the street from each other and close to Howard University, every once in a while I would see all these, like, African kids with so much swagger who were all obviously Howard students. Yeah. And I really wish that I knew that that had even been an option for me. That's so interesting. I mean, I think that, yeah, the African kids, the Nigerian kids, the Ghanaian kids, like in particular, were like rolled deep. A lot of them had been educated in the UK for secondary school and then came to Howard for for college. 
just like very confident. It was so fun. It would be, it was actually kind of maddening, but you know, I knew this one guy who would brag about like, I can count back my ancestry eight generations. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and the Nigerian prince I'm descended. Oh my God. That's like an African, that's such like, an African person thing to say, you know, like, I'm like how nice for you. Congrats. I can probably go back like two generations on my father's side. Oh, man. Because they don't keep records of slaves that well. Cold-blooded. Yeah, no. Cold-blooded. I mean, I could go back in my family till 8th century, I think, is what we have. Because our family basically, like, (laughs) brought Islam to West Africa. But here's the other thing, Shani. Everybody lies. I oh, um, When I did my 23andMe uh, genetic testing, mm-hmm. I'm going to give you a little bit of context. My grandparents on both sides of my family, they're very tribalistic. I'm not even going to say that they're racist. They, like, only care about our tribe. Okay. And so it's been – and my grandfathers, like, both passed away. But my grandmothers were, like, very vocal about a lot of my cousins marrying outside of our tribe and specifically white people. In this generation, there are a lot of, like, interracial marriages. And the grandmas, like, were just not having it. And, you know, they would always call back to this time when, like, the lineage was pure and all of this garbage. So this is the thing that I've grown up hearing my whole life. Anyway, fast forward. I do 23andMe. Dun, dun, dun. 20 plus percent of my DNA is some sort of Caucasian slash white. Oh my God. Oh my God. So stressful. So, so, so stressful. So somebody is obviously lying. Was your world turned upside down? Were you like, I don't even know who I am anymore? Like like, honestly, I'm still processing it. You know, I have an affinity (laughs) towards white people and like, especially white women. And now I like understand where it comes from. (laughs) But it was genetic. It's genetic. It's like my deep attraction to white people is genetic. But, you know, it's just, it's so fascinating to me because it's true. It's like African people, especially those of us who live, who are like privileged enough to live in the West, because that's the other story they don't tell you. It's like when we end up at schools in America, it's because we come from like fairly privileged backgrounds. Oh, totally. Money. That's how you get there. Listen, I don't want to say that. Um, I'll say it. I saw some really well-dressed Africans on a daily basis at Howard. Well, my parents were very working class, but, you know, we, like, uh, every cow in our family accounts for how I went to college. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, like, it's it's that kind of story. But, yeah, you know, I... I don't know. And now my other grandma passed away before I was able to share this news with her. And now I only have one living grandma. And every once in a while, she'll say these like very problematic things. And I just want to throw this like, where's this 20% white DNA come from grandma in her face? But she's too old to talk about it with. So it's stressing me out. And I'm like, maybe we'll never know. Because they don't do Ancestry.com for African people. Isn't this like that, that, that This American Life where the guy found out, the black guy found out he had no black DNA and no. his family was like, no, you black. And he was like, wait a second, my DNA does not say I'm black. Oh my God. So stressful. Yeah, no, it's just, it's so, it's so crazy. Mostly also I'm doing, I'm, I talk about this on the podcast a lot because my hope is that Dr. Gates will want to study my, um, <laughs> my heritage <laughs> because like, I don't know. I watch that show all the time. And my favorite is all of the, like the people who are so adamant about knowing where they're from. Like mm-hmm. Oprah, Oprah was so convinced that she was Zulu. She's just like, my ancestry is Zulu. And yeah. 
And the Harvard people and Dr. Gates were like, mm, try Sierra Leone. <laughs> That's not real. I should do that. I feel like maybe I'll decide that I'm a maroon from Jamaica. That's like my, my on my mother's side. Oh, you might find out you're like a quarter Polish or something. Oh, God. Yeah, it's like I did it and really didn't think about it. And then and then I was like, oh, this actually like can create a lot of problems. <laughs> There's also a social networking thing that's tied to it. They regulated a little tightly, but like when it started, it was kind of the Wild West and people could just like send you friend requests based on how close you are to them. Oh, and my this, God. And this one woman who we are um, cousins fourth removed, she's like a full redhead German. And I'm like, I don't have the emotional capacity to like figure out how we are related at all. But that really stresses me out too. <laughs> secrets will be revealed. Yeah, no, secrets will be re- African people's secrets, man. They're everywhere. I love it. It's so crazy. What else is going on with you? I'm thinking about news basically on a daily basis. That is my life. Besides tweeting is just... <laughs> is just thinking about how to build a really great, strong, big, relevant news organization. That's what keeps me up at night. Is there anything that you can tell us that's not like, I don't know, super secret work, you know, that you're doing? Ooh, that's a really good question. You know, I think BuzzFeed really, I want it to be a place where reporters feel really supported and just kind of like the best possible place to work if you're, if you're a reporter and just getting things in order so that we can be that place. I feel, I feel like we are. Um, and I just want to continue to be that. So I don't know. I'm, I'm bragging. I'll stop. No, I love it when you brag. Maybe that can be like a separate podcast. It's like bragcast. Um, <laughs> but like, I guess like if, you know, if we're going to brag, what are really cool stories you feel that your reporters have worked on this year that are things that you're really proud of? I feel like we've just done such fascinating work with Texas and their habit of imprisoning people who can't pay fines. More specifically, we, we did an amazing series about students who missed class for whatever reason, whether it was family problems or illness. They just, These are like high school students. High school kids, 15, 16, 17. You miss X number of days, you are expected to pay a fine. If you can't pay that fine, you go to jail. True, MC. And... Because of our reporting, the governor of Texas signed an, a law that changed truancy from a criminal offense to a civil offense, which is huge. But on the other hand, it's like that should have, <laughs> should have never been criminal. Yeah. And then we're kind of also working on a series about how people with who rack up traffic fines have the option to either pay the fine or sit in jail. And judges are supposed to give them the option to do community service if they can't pay the fines, but a lot of judges don't even bother to ask. Or they're like, you have a cell phone, so you must be able to pay your fines. And if you don't, then you're going to jail. Man. Uh, I don't know. There's just like Texas so much. <laughs> but I mean, countrywide, there's just so much to uncover. And I think that has been the most inspiring part of my job has worked with reporter, like working with reporters who are uncovering bad actors and injustice, large and small. And obviously big is great, but small, you know, you're, you're changing the lives of a few people. That's, that's kind of crazy and kind of great. That's really cool. Um, can you brag to me about something personal? Oh, something personal. Hmm. I feel like you're racking up awards left and right. You're also just like, you know, you're like a woman about town. <laughs> um, I was really delighted to be honored to be on this like Marie Claire list for 
50 most connected women in America. It's kind of funny, actually, to be in my position because I don't write that much. It's really easy when you don't write to really slip behind the scenes and not be seen. And having my work recognized by people who are paying attention is really it's nice. That's really cool. I mean, well-deserved. Can you tell us what the, t- the headline was for it? Oh, God, I think <laughs> this is a setup. It's totally a setup. I want to talk about it. What was the headline for your title? Um, you have to say it. I mean, I, mean I, I, I vaguely remember. You were like the content creator or the content queen. Which one was it? It was the content queen. The content queen. I know, but, you know, I felt like that was, like, deep homage to Kim Kardashian, you know, who's, like, our number one content queen, 2Ks. Um, I love it. Oh, my God, Kim. She's the best. Uh, I'm so proud of you, Shawnee. Okay, now, because we've waded into Kim, what are you watching on TV currently? Currently, I'm watching Sex in the City, which is not current. And I've been watching Outlander. Which I did see, I binge-watched at our friend Mandy's house, another important woman in our lives. But now I'm kind of watching it more slowly because there are like 10 Outlander books. It's kind of a ridiculous show. It's about, can I even, it's about a woman from 1940-ish, 1945, who gets thrown back in time to 1700 and something. So it's like weird time shifting. But the whole, the, the series is basically like her being threatened with rape, her boyfriend slash husband being threatened with murder, her saving his life, rinse, repeat. But it's kind of a fascinating show. So two things. One, I did not know Outlander was books. Um, <laughs> everything, yeah, I, you know, I'm just like, I don't have time for books to TV. But I am caught up on Outlander, the TV show. And the thing about it that's fascinating to me is how steamy the sex is. So sexy. You know, it's just basically like a show that, you know, it's all about the female gaze. And I was like, oh, this is everything Game of Thrones does wrong. Oh, totally. Because it's like you have this obviously beautiful model, Katrina. um, I can't pronounce her last name. It's Irish. But the main actress. And she's she's tall and gorgeous. But like, it's not about her body. It's. She's like a Madewell model, you know, like, you, <laughs> like, you, like you see yourself being her like because she's so cool and gorgeous, but you don't linger on her body in the same way that you do with the like the sexy hunky. I know, um, right. But you body, definitely body, linger. Men. You definitely linger on the men's bodies. Yes. And even the way that I'm thinking about this, like one particular sex scene, the way that they're just set up. Like, you could just tell that it's made for women. Right. It's like the camera pans towards the body. It's a little more patient. It's a little more insistent. It's, yeah, it's like the camera foreplay is serious. It's real. It's like how in um, that movie with Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone where, like, it lingers all over his, like, sexy muscle back. God, what is that movie called? It's so bad. (laughs) With uh, Steve Carell. Yes. We'll remember. We'll put it in the link. Yeah, it's it's called like "Hey Girl." <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's like one of those things where you can tell it's made. It's really made for women to watch. It doesn't care if men think she's sexy, and she. I mean, she is, and she's beautiful. But it's a kind of like delightful to watch something where your eye is not being led to like a woman's ass at all times. That is amazing. Are you watching anything else? 
I'm still watching Grey's Anatomy. Hanging on. I love it. What's going on on Grey's? Give me an update. I stopped watching Grey's to, for you. Um, McSteamy had just started dating Lexi. Oh my god. R.I.P. McSteamy. R.I.P. Lexi. Wait, they died? <laughs> they both died. <laughs> was it a like pla- four years ago? Was it like a plane crash? In I the feel plane like- crash. Okay. Wait, did, um, they, did McSteamy die in the plane crash? Or no. Or did he die from he, the plane crash? He, it was never made clear what exactly he died of. Like, he was in the crash. He was rescued. Like, the next season, they had a couple episodes with him in it. And then... One day, like, the chief is looking at him. He's like, he says, I think he's, he's having the surge that you have right before you die. Because he was, like, very energetic. And then the next day, he died. So you're saying it, that he died from Shonda Rhimes being tired of him. <laughs> or him being tired of the show. Mm, that's not how it works. <laughs> but anyway, R.I.P. McSteamy, R.I.P. McDreamy, who's also dead. This is like, uh, this season is all Ellen Pompeo on her own as Meredith Grey, with her, like, dead husband's sister and her mom's, like, unknown daughter. What? There's another daughter? A black daughter. What? (laughs) So Meredith has a black sister now. Isn't there also, like, a black doctor that Jesse, what's-his-name, plays? Yeah, Jesse Williams. Okay. He He plays Dr. Avery, who is, his mother is Debbie Allen. And all praise to Debbie Allen. Okay. She's so amazing. And she directs a bunch of episodes and she's amazing. Honey, I feel like you're about to make me get back into Grey's Anatomy. It's gotten real good. A lot of people are very mad that Shonda killed Derek, but I actually think it's been a great refresh. Uh, If Derek, AKA the actor who plays Derek had been okay, Shonda (laughs) would have never had to kill him. I read about that in People Magazine. Um, We did see some rumors about him not acting right, but you know please she just like killed him with the quickness <laughs> it was uh it's fine are you reading the Shonda Rhimes book right now I am I actually just finished it today oh tell me everything my uh my copy is in transit somewhere <laughs> so uh, uh I will be reading it very soon I think it's really delightful I mean I think you know if you don't care for Shonda's way of writing which comes through in her shows and you might find it a little annoying but I think overall she touches a lot on things that matter to modern women uh, and not just young women, but women in their 30s and 40s and older. She writes about being a mom. She writes about deciding she didn't want to get married. The dude was not into it. She writes about the workplace and how if you have one ball and you are like succeeding at one thing, you're failing at another. And that's just the reality. Like if you are at your kid's recital, you are not at the final scene of Sandra Oh as Christina Yang. It's just like a nice kind of refreshing real talk that reaffirms, I think, a lot of things we already know. I really like that stuff because I, I heard her say that in an interview too about, you know, like work-life balance and really knowing that if you're doing one thing, then it means that you're dropping the ball about something else. And I really wish that everybody would hear this message. Yes. Because it's like work-life balance is such snake oil. Yes. And it's really, really, really frustrating. Yeah, and I think she does a good job of pointing out how messed up it is to ask these questions of women or ask questions about diversity of people of color without denying that this stuff is important. And, like, she doesn't, like, she has a bunch of chapters, but she doesn't have a chapter that's on race. She weaves it in throughout the whole book because she's black and it's a part of 
all of the aspects of her life. Yeah, I mean, that's like that great story about her, right? When like somebody's, I think there's like a speech about her or something and they send her the remarks and it's like, Shonda Rhimes is the highest earning, like best black showrunner and, you know, like female showrunner. And then she crosses out like female and black. Right, right. Because it's like, she's the, she's actually just the best. Like she's kind of just the best. Yeah. That's what, I mean, I think that's like, we, we both strive toward that and people want to put you on lists for being black or for being female, but actually I just want to be the best and crush all the competition under my boot heel. Ugh, Shawnee, you're crushing everything. Um, can I tell you one last Shonda Rhyme thing? That's my favorite thing. Please. Because I suspect that she's a good boss. I've been uh, hashtag blessed to see her email signature. And this mm-hmm. is what, and this is what it says. If this is a work email, I will not read or answer after 7 PM. If I'm your boss, may I suggest put down your phone? I'm like, you like, thank you for being a good boss to all the young people around you. It's pretty great. I do feel like I wish I could live that life, but news is, a, is like slightly less forgiving. But being an adult has made me think a little bit more about what I can pull off and how much time I need to recuperate and taking time for myself and not just going, going, going. And she does talk a little bit about that, like taking 15 minutes a day to play with her kids instead of rushing off to the next thing. And it's really hard sometimes for me to take that, those 15 minutes, but, you know, I'll try. It's okay. One day we're all going to be working for you, Shawnee Hilton. So <laughs> it's, just, it's just perfect. Thank you so much for coming on. I loved it. I love you. Say hi to Anne. So glad to be in the mix. I will. You are the best. What a woman. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Like she's she's the best. She's the best. Yeah. Internalize everything about Chani and just like live your best 2016. I hope everyone was taking notes in your moleskin journal for like, you know, planning your goals for next year. <laughs> so good. Well, um, I'll see you on the internet, boo-boo. See you on the internet all year long. All right, you can find us many places on the internet, on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com. You can download our show on the Acast app or on iTunes, where it would be awesome if you left us a review. You can also tweet at us at callyrgf or email us at callyrgf at gmail.com. And you can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. This podcast is produced by Gina Delbach. Gina! Gina! (laughs) 